Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If they want a criminal, I'm going to show them the best damn criminal there is. And that's what I did. Each year, thousands of people facing trial or incarceration in the United States will flee. Some simply across state borders. Others will head for safe havens in other countries they may have family ties to or that have no extradition treaty with the United States. However, for those wanting an easier-to-reach country to hide, they'll head north for Canada, or try their luck in the warmer climates of Central and South America, hoping to disappear among the crowds and live out their days on white sandy beaches. And that's exactly what the man, known as Wild Bill, would do. I'm 43 years old. I was Central America's most celebrated and sought-after assassin, hitman, professional killer from 2006 until 2010. I was arrested in 2010. I'm serving 46 years for quintuple homicide inside the most dangerous prison in the Western Hemisphere. In that prison, I'm also the prison's chaplain. I've been here for 13 years in prison. I'm recording this from inside a super maximum security cell block in La Nueva Joya prison in Panama. My name's Jack Lawrence. Welcome to Wanted. I'm a wanderer of the soul Before the end I plan to be whole But I know I'll lose myself along the way What's gone is gone What's past is past Let me leave what belongs in the past So it was after chatting with Chad Hauer that I began to do some more research in the world of wanted people, looking up stories of men and women who have been on the run from authorities. And it was while reading through these different stories that I came across William Dethan Holbert, or Wild Bill. Now, unlike Chad, Wild Bill is a man who's guilty of some very 
serious crimes. They were America's most wanted fugitives, that is, until Monday. A couple who lived in Asheville is being detained in Nicaragua, accused in a string of killings in three different countries. They're also facing a laundry list of charges in the U.S., from stolen cars to a high-speed chase and fraud. Sifting through articles with headlines such as American accused of Panama serial killings, Catching Wild Bill, the end of a killing spree, and an incarcerated hitman's life behind bars. It all painted a pretty dark picture of a man who was now supposedly a prison chaplain. Authorities believe this wild-haired man is a chameleon of sorts, changing his look and name in every new city. Authorities have dubbed him Wild Bill, but for the first time in years, they have him right where they want him, in handcuffs. Talking to people incarcerated for murder is nothing new for me. With the show One Minute Remaining, I've spoken to multiple men and women who have been convicted of the crime. However, this one was different, as everyone I've spoken to so far has denied any wrongdoing, whereas Bill fully admits to his crimes. A man has now confessed to the murder of a St. Petersburg woman in Panama. Panamanian authorities now say William Hobart admitted to killing her and at least four other people. The other major difference with this story compared to the incarcerated men and women that I speak with was the location. Over my time interviewing incarcerated men and women in the United States, I've become pretty good at tracking them down and getting in touch with them. However, Bill is incarcerated in Panama. How on earth do I reach someone in a Panamanian prison? Well, their Facebook page, of course. Okay, so after doing a little bit of digging around and some investigation, uh, while Bill has a Facebook page... (laughs) Of course, as you do. Uh, Okay, let's click on and see what we've got here. Called Friends of Brother Bill. Let's see if we can get accepted into the group. So we've been accepted into the group. So now all that remains for me to do is send a message to this Facebook group and see who responds. It wasn't long till I got a response from the man himself. Okay, so... I have a message. Hey, bro, it's me, Bill. Tell me about your show. Sounds awesome. Looking forward to speaking with you. Oh, it looks like we're on. But just how do we arrange that, I wondered. Well, using his mobile phone, of course. Here he is. Hey, man, what's up, Bill? How you doing, Jack? Mate, I am, uh, I'm very well, my friend. I'm very well. I'm so the first time Bill and I caught up... As I'm sure you can imagine, the signal from inside a Panamanian prison wasn't the best. Was there any, you know, violence involved? Obviously, you're involved with some pretty heavy people and that sort of stuff. Did you ever find yourself in a situation that got a bit out of control? You were dealing with these these mafia types and all the rest of it, and it's a very dangerous world to be involved in. So was there any times in that period... Oh. So how do we fix that? I thought. Well, WhatsApp messaging, of course. So, with the help of modern technology from inside a jail cell in a third world country, this is the story of the man they call Wild Bill. Now, you might be thinking 
a man known as Wild Bill, having been arrested for quintuple homicide and working as a hitman, must have had something traumatic happen to him in his early years. I mean, that's the normal MO, right, for someone who'd go on to commit these types of crimes? However, Bill says that couldn't be further from the truth. So I grew up in the mountains of Western North Carolina in a very rural environment, very good, wholesome, you know, country, Christian environment. I had a really normal upbringing. You know, a lot of people want to talk about how killers burn frogs and, you know, torture dogs. I never did any of that stuff, you know, and I grew up a really normal existence as a kid. And uh, just like every other you know, redneck kid from Western North Carolina. I grew up hunting and fishing, and I remember I, my father teaching me how to drive a car when I was 10 years old. I could drive a tractor and plow a field when I was 11 and was expected to do so. By the time I was 13 or 14, I was managing hundreds of stands of bees. That was my job on the farm, was managing the bees. And so I was a beekeeper. And so so I, I grew up a very rural existence. I grew up very, very athletic. Um, I played American football through the shot put and discus and track just to have something to do in the off season. Really cookie cutter American life. Well, I studied agriculture at a place called Blue Ridge Community College, which we, which in those days was called Blue Ridge Technical Institute. And we called it Redneck Tech because pretty much everybody that went there was just looking for a trade or something. So I pulled down an associate's degree in agriculture from Redneck Tech uh, there in Western North Carolina in a little town called Hendersonville. So Bill was living the all-American life, doing the normal things most young kids his age were doing. However, he does admit that even from a young age, he had a, shall we say, entrepreneurial spirit. I was 16, I learned how to make these little black boxes that beat the cable. You know, everything was cable back in those days, and we made little analog black boxes that would give you pay-per-view and HBO and all the other channels for free. I made them in the basement of my grandfather's house and would sell them for $200 a piece, which was a, a considerable amount of money in 1995. You, know, you know, and I was always doing something. I was always involved in some sort of a, certainly illegal, but right on the edge of being illegal, but also socially acceptable. I sold stolen equipment. I didn't steal it myself, but I sold stolen equipment. I did all kinds of stuff, you know. So Bill had his scams running here and there, which would continue into his college years when he branched out into forging documents. So I remember when I was in college, I dated this chick that was a librarian and she had access to this machine that made like library cars. And I I reset it up to make actual North Carolina driver's licenses. So if you wanted to buy a fake ID because you couldn't drink until you were 21, you go to college when you're 18, but you couldn't drink. And all the college kids want to go party in the club, you know. And so if you wanted to buy a fake ID, what you do is you bring me your driver's license and I would scan it. And what I would do is just change the date, the birth date, and to make you just a little bit older and then make you a driver's license. Now, if a North Carolina state trooper pulls you over and you give him that fake driver's license, he's going to run that driver's license and that driver's license is going to come back good because the only thing different on it is the, is the birth date. And it's very unlikely that anybody's going to catch the birth date, you know. So, so, I mean, like you, I literally made fake driver's licenses that were real driver's licenses based on the, your actual ID. I would just bump back. And for instance, I was born in 1979. I would just bump mine back until I was 21. I'd be like 77. And so, or 76, whatever it needed to be. And so these are actual, I made like really, really good replica copies and would sell them for $200 a piece as well. 
It's fair to say Bill was no choir boy, and he says he did in fact almost get caught at one stage. That sort of thing came natural to me. I used to sell stolen heavy heavy equipment and making a great deal of money back in those days. I almost got caught once doing that as well. Um, got some machines confiscated, and I had to do a really good play-acting job for the SBI, the State Bureau of Investigation, that I didn't know they were stolen, that I had bought them. <laughs> I was so afraid I was going to jail, you know, but, um, but I, I got out of it, and I weaseled my way out of it because I had all these legitimate businesses running, and nobody would ever think that, you know. But anyway, so I mean, like I say, being honest, I was always a, a bit of a bad guy, but just right there on the edge of it, you know, not just on the edge of it, making money, but not, not doing anything terribly, terribly wrong. So, illegal, yes. The early warning signs of a cartel hitman in the making, possibly not. Bill would also start a family very early in life. And again, it all started out pretty well. He was making good money and supporting his little family. Then I went to college and, and, and knocked up this chick and ended up getting married. I don't want to talk a whole lot about my family because I'll leave my family you know, out of these things. And so we ended up getting married and... During that time I was married to my first wife, I opened several businesses. One, I had a landscaping business that was very successful, actually. It was a moneymaker. We did really well. I built a large house, a large, luxurious house, a five-bedroom house on uh, the family farm in Saluda there. and moved my little family there. We had three kids and a wife. You know, I was really young. I was only about 23, 22, 23 years old and had all that going. And then I partnered with another guy on a gym. When I got divorced, everything kind of fell apart. I got divorced in, in, in 2004, and everything kind of fell apart. Bill says he's often asked, what happened? What was the moment that made him snap? From doing a few dodgy deals and some fake IDs to becoming a wanted fugitive, escaping the US and becoming a hitman. Well, it all stems, he says, from his custody battle with his former wife. When I went to court, the judge told my ex-wife that she had to give me the kids every two weeks, and she to- and they told me that I had to pay this enormous amount of money every month. I mean, enormous amount of money, like $3,000 a month. I didn't even make $3,000 a month back then. And my lawyer advised me, he said, don't pay it, because if you pay it, the judge, that, that shows that you can pay it. He said, send her what you think is just, and then we'll go back to court. So that's what I did. Then she didn't send me the children in response. She said, well, if you're not going to pay, I'm not going to give you the kids. And so when we went to court, the judge gave her a $20 fine of contempt for not sending me the children. And I was waiting on my $20 fine, my $20 fine for contempt. And he said, and you get two weeks in jail. And it put me in prison for two weeks. Like, what? For contempt, for not, he's like, yeah, you didn't pay. I'm like, I didn't pay because I couldn't pay. And he says, I don't believe that, and so on and so forth. And so I, be, I got really angry and said some, some ugly things in the courtroom and told the judge what I actually thought. And my lawyer's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, you know. And so I, my lawyer says to the judge, says, let him serve it on the weekend so he can work. And so, and so the judge says, fine, two weeks in jail, but you got to serve it on the weekends. Shit, two weeks in jail, 14 days serving it on the weekends, you know. That's that's a lot of weekends, it's like two months dragging it out. So we go outside and I told I told my lawyer, his name was Bill Gardo, and I told Bill Gardo, I said, Look here, man. I said, It's been nice knowing you. I'm leaving. And he said, What? I said, I'm leaving. I said these words and I remember them, and it's like something really famous, you know, in my life. And I said, if they want a criminal, I'm gonna show them the best damn criminal there is. And that's what I did. 
the world was about to see just how wild Wild Bill could be. As he embarks on a crime spree. In fact, it's a crime spree he still can't go into too much detail about. Some of the, the statute of limitations hasn't run out on it yet, and I'm, I want to avoid, avoid being prosecuted for it. But I amassed an enormous amount of money in the United States with plans of leaving the United States, exiting the United States, which I did. I had about, about, about $350,000 in cash, and I decided to go to Central America. And the reason I decided, I got, I got hot as well. I, I was, the police, several times I evaded the police and um, I, I knew that, you know, it was just a matter of time. I couldn't make enough fake IDs. I couldn't make them fast enough to change identities. And I knew that, that I, I was really short for the world, you know. It wasn't going to be long before the authorities caught up with me. Things in America had now reached fever pitch it was getting far too hot for Bill to stick around. And it was time to leave. Bill was wanted. I'm a wanderer of the soul Before the end I plan to behold But I know I'll lose myself along the way What's gone is gone What's past is past Let me leave if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. And so I had been on vacation with my mistress in 2003. I, I say mistress, that's not really an accurate word because I didn't ever start a relationship with this woman until... I was separated from my ex-wife. I was actually separated from my ex-wife. I wasn't a, the dog that I am today. Back in those days, I was actually pretty, you know, I was, I was pretty loyal, actually. And I began a, a relationship with a, a young woman who was my secretary at the gym. And she and I went off on a little rendezvous to Costa Rica. 
for a weekend once. And uh, it was the only first time I'd ever been out of the country. And I really enjoyed it. And so when I became a, a real full-time 100% boss-to-the-wall criminal, she decided to come with me. So Bill has a destination. But there's still the slight issue of just how to get there. I mean, if you're a wanted fugitive, you can't just pop down to your local travel agent, get a couple of tickets on a commercial flight and head out of JFK or LAX. And so I got out of the United States through, through Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I, I, let's say I borrowed. <laughs> I borrowed someone's sailboat and, and skipped across to the Bahamas. From the Bahamas, I stayed there for about a week, but I didn't really feel like the Bahamas was a safe place because it's so close to the United States. And, and, uh, and there are like FBI offices in the, in the Bahamas. And so I, I grabbed a plane to the Cayman Islands. And from the Cayman Islands, I took a private plane. I, I, I was in the Cayman Islands for about three days and realized that this is not the place for me because everything is so expensive. And so I'm carrying in, on my person $500,000 in cash. And this is before all that airline security shit that they have today, you know. And so, so I, I chartered a private plane from the Cayman Islands to Cancun. And then from Cancun, I grabbed, I grabbed a taxi that took me to the border, and we crossed into Belize. From Belize, I went to El Salvador, from El Salvador to Costa Rica. And I thought that jumping around, bing, 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 jumping around would have been really too much for the authorities. And that proved to be the truth. It was too much for the authorities. They lost me. They couldn't find me. So I disappeared again into Costa Rica. And from there, I set up my new life. Costa Rica. It borders the Caribbean Sea to the east and the Pacific Ocean to the west. With Nicaragua to the north and Panama to the south, this stunning Caribbean port welcomes over 1.5 million tourists each year, including cruise ship passengers who are whisked off to the jungle for fun adventures. However, it's a place where locals try to be home by dark and police patrol with high-caliber guns in the face of soaring drug violence. In fact, Costa Rica last year logged a record 657 homicides. The bloodshed is being blamed on the drug business that runs rife in the country. And it wasn't long before Wild Bill would find himself right in the thick of the drug world in Costa Rica. I lived in a place in Costa Rica that was probably one of certainly the happiest times of my life. I lived in this place called Arecife. Arecife was a little bar in a place called Puerto Viejo de Talamanca, which is on the, is in the Limon province of Costa Rica on the Caribbean Ocean. It was an international community because Puerto Viejo de Talamanca had exploded as a surfing place. So all these hippie surfers came from all over the world, not just the United States. They came from England and Germany and Italy. And, and it was an international community that was popping. I mean, there were more foreigners in the town than there were actually locals. So in that place, I lived with these Italian boys in a place called Arecife. At Arasife, many things happened. One, there were three fellows, Mario, Lalo, and Pietro. Lalo was this big guy. He was about the same size as I was, and he was kind of fat because he was the cook, and he cooked so good. He really did cook good. And then Mario uh, ran the operation, and Pietro was the bartender. Arasife, which means in Italian and Spanish, the reef, like a coral reef, was right on this big coral reef on the beach, right on the beach, and it was there was an open-air restaurant. And I would go in the evenings to there and eat every night. And these Italians adopted me. 
and this is how it happened. One day, I went there every day for about three weeks, and I got to know them very well, and I ran a tab. I asked them to run me a tab, and I would just pay them every week instead of having to bring cash there every time because I was spending so much money there. Well, one day, I was sitting there eating with my, my girlfriend, and I looked up, and Mario was pushed over in the corner by these three dark-skinned fellows who were screaming at one, screaming at him, and one was waving a pistol around. Now, I had worked. So I had worked my whole life in things like bouncing. I was a bouncer at a bar. I was uh, a repo man. I used to repossess cars. So, like violence, physical violence is not something that even remotely bothers me at all, or or scares me. It's something very natural for me. And I noticed these three men were pushing Mario, my good friend, who's been so good to me, around into the corner. And so I watched this for a moment, and I watched the one man had a pistol, and he would wave it wildly in the air, and you could tell he didn't know what the hell he was doing with the pistol. And so I walked over in that direction, and Mario looks at me, and he shakes his head, no, like, don't come over here, don't come over here. And I just continued to walk, and, I, and the, the other fellows, who turned out to be Colombians, looked at me thinking that I was like a stupid tourist, which I was a stupid tourist, but they didn't understand what, what I had in mind. And so I said, and in Spanish, ¿Dónde está el baño? But I said it like really poorly because I spoke poor Spanish. Where is the bathroom? And the Colombian says to me, hey, get the fuck out of here. You know, go on, shoo, shoo, gringo. And so I smiled and continued to walk. And he said, didn't you hear me? And I hit him as hard as I could hit anybody. In the, I've ever hit anybody in my whole life. I mean, I hit him as hard as you, a human being can be hit in the face. I hit him square in the nose, facing, you know. And, and with the same instant, just snatched the pistol right out of his hand because he had it kind of down by his side. I just reached and snatched the pistol out of his hand and chambered around. Ching, ching. It was a little, a little black rusty ass nine millimeter pistol the three boy colombian boys eyes got really big and so the guy laying on the ground starts screaming he says i'm gonna kill you gringo blah 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 and so i just shot him in the kneecap wow i gave him one through the knee and then he screamed bloody murder and 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 he's like rocking back and forth on the ground and i told the other two boys i said scoop his ass up and get him the fuck out of here so that's what they did. They scooped him up and they threw him back in this little pickup truck and drove away. And Mario's looking at me very, very nervously, holding that, me holding that pistol. And I, I ejected the magazine from the, from the pistol, unchambered the, the round that was in it, and handed Mario the pistol stock first. And he took the pistol from me and I gave him the, the magazine. I said, keep this because you might need it. And he's like, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, thank you. You know, he was, he's an Italian guy. I mean, he speaks perfect English, but he was an Italian guy and, and uh, from, from Milan. And it turned out that these three guys were like bank robbers and shit like that. And, and, and like they were also bad guys on the run, you know? It was while he was staying with his Italian friends that he would meet his next employer. And I don't want to say his name because anybody can find out this information that wants to look, but a man came in who owned a smuggling operation. But I don't like to talk about, I don't want to, you know, mention people that I've killed because this man I did end up killing later. Um, and he had a smuggling operation in which that Asian people, primarily from China, would pay money to be, to be smuggled into the United States. And they came in on container ships, in a container. After the, the container ship passed through the Panama Canal, they'd be smuggled off of the ship and up the, up the Caribbean coast. They would go to Jamaica, from Jamaica on to, I don't know, Texas, Florida, Alabama, somewhere there. 
So through the Gulf of Mexico. So I picked up a job running the leg from Bocas del Toro, where they were they were housed in Bocas del Toro. I would pick up I picked up the leg from Bocas del Toro to Jamaica. And that's all we've got time for. But coming up in our next episode, while Bill gets himself involved in the smuggling business. And this is where he would have to kill for the first time. He says in self-defense. So he comes back and tries to tackle me, and I moved to step out of the way, but I slipped, and the deck was wet, and I slipped, and I fell back on my back, and he fell on top of me. If you want to find out more about the man who was once Central America's most infamous hitman and now a serving Christian minister in a Panamanian prison, Bill has written a book about his experiences inside Central America's prison system, the details of which are in the show notes of this episode. I'm a wanderer of the soul Before the end I plan to be whole But I know I'll lose myself along the way What's gone is gone What's past is past Let me leave what belongs in the past Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.